Hello there, I'm Dr. Hacky Reitman, and you're listening to Exploring Different Brains. Hi, this is Dr. Hacky Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And we're lucky to have with us today the author and psychologist, Dr. Lauren Gerber. She has written such books as Autism in You, Kitchen Table Therapy, The Practice of Parenting, and Does God Have an Email Address, something she wrote with her son when their Labrador Retriever died. Uh, you can find Dr. Lauren Gerber at drlaurengerber.com, and you can also find her right here because she's with us here. Hi, Lauren. How are you? Hi, Hacky. Thank you for having me. Now, your office is in Boca Raton, Florida. Do you get patients from all over? Are they mostly local, or how does that work? I do. I get patients from South Florida, but I also have patients still from Chicago with whom I work on Skype and some that have moved out of Chicago across the country with whom I still speak. Uh, Tell us about uh, telemedicine in the practice of psychology nowadays. I think it's really becoming um, a helpful tool. Originally, the face-to-face contact um, was what I think psychology was based on, the relationship building. And now that the Internet and the telemedicine, you can have that face-to-face contact and still have a private portal in which to communicate, I think that more and more people are um, going that route. It's a good thing. It's a positive thing. So, like, take us into your office. What are the most common things you're seeing? I see um, many young families who are struggling in the school systems with children who are not successful. Um, On the spectrum, which is probably 50% of my practice, one in 68 children right now, I see children who don't have enough individualization in their education program to feel the daily happy successes. So we try to create goals that that are successful for them because living life um, in a happy and healthy way is one of the goals of coming into my office. What's the biggest single thing about psychology that in a non-psychologist like myself doesn't get, do you think? Hmm. I don't know. I think that that's a, a good question, a hard question. I think psychology is the study of people. So psychologists get to, to work with people every day, all day long, in a different way than maybe other people interact because they're actually taking it, looking at it, breaking it down, and trying to get underneath what's going on. So it's a deeper study. Do you work hand-in-hand with any psychiatrists who prescribe medications? I do have a psychiatrist in my office, um, Dr. Gil Lickstein, and he's a wonderful psychiatrist, sees many children and families also. Um, The pediatricians also sometimes prescribe, but there isn't a medication management tool right now for autism as a diagnosis itself. So you'd be treating other symptoms, the depressive symptoms or the anxious symptoms or the attention and focus symptoms. Tell our viewers your thoughts on medications and ADHD. Medications and ADHD. I think, well, there's a place, obviously, for... I'm very holistic in my approach. So people ask me, is diet a good thing? And I say, yes, in moderation. Nothing extreme, but should you have a healthy, organic diet without chemicals? If you can, that would be great. Um, People ask me about medicine and, and... if they're having trouble sleeping, should I try melatonin, a natural cure, or should I try a sleep aid that someone prescribes? And 
And I want to know, did they first try meditation? Did they try progressive relaxation? Have they tried some apps on their phone? Are they using the bedroom in quiet ways where they don't have TV on and screens on and things that light up the brain and get it excited and then they can't go to sleep? So medication for me is, is invasive. Um, and I hope that a lot of other therapeutic options have been tried prior to medication. But working together with MDs and medication is, is part of our work. So it's often a combination. Now, you have a very, very close, close individual who helps you with the therapy, who lives with you, who keeps you warm at night, and he is one of the many, no, one of the most important people in your life. Tell us about that individual. I have a therapy dog in my practice, Giovanni, or Gio for short. He's not here today. Um, he would have liked to have been here today. He goes with me to work every day. And patients that come into my office, if he's not there, they say, Dr. Lauren, where is Gio? And they miss him because he brings to the room a, a nonverbal just acceptance and love and positive regard um, that makes every session better. So he's wonderful. Who likes him more, the kids or the adults? Everybody likes him. He comes out to the to the waiting room and meets people and greets them and brings them in. And he's 100 pounds, so if you're not used to a very large black Labrador, he can be um, a little alarming, but he's a big, gentle giant. How did you decide to bring him into your practice? I've always had a therapy dog, Hacky, for my practice. This is the third or fourth that I've had trained by Therapy Dogs International so that they could participate and work with the children. I find the children on the spectrum especially are calmed and soothed by having his presence. Beyond therapy, what do you think about, you know, families you treat and individuals in general having pets and dogs? Well, I'm an animal lover. So I think that families having pets, if they can handle it, and the, the jobs that go along with it, walking them, feeding them, caring for them, aren't too cumbersome. I think it's a wonderful addition to the family. Okay. Bring our audience up to speed on present State of the Union with what I'm going to call Baker acting someone. You have someone who you perceive is a danger to themselves or society. They're in your office. What do you do? Usually if they're in my office, uh, we can talk about it, and I don't end up having to what you're calling Baker acting is hospitalizing somebody without their permission, against their will, because they need to be kept safe. Um, generally, if someone has a strong therapeutic alliance and they come to the office and they don't feel like they can carry on, together you find a way to find that hope, that window of opportunity, and they can move forward in a better direction. So that suicidality doesn't come to fruition. Do you feel that telemedicine or you know, seeing people over video is going to replace the uh, office? I think it's going to add flexibility to the office because there are many individuals who can't travel to you. Maybe they are in a wheelchair. Maybe it's hard for them to get to where they're going, so they have a physical reason or a, a geographical reason. Or they need your specialty and you're not near them. So I think it's, going to, it's not going to supplant, but it's going to be additive in a positive um, way that somebody can reach me when they're not in Florida. 
and talk to me and see me face to face and see Giovanni. <laughs> so I'd bring him next to me so that, you know. But Giovanni can't give them a hug over he the He can't. He can't. But he does know how to give a hug. <laughs> and he was trained by a wonderful trainer, uh, Pamela Kent, who taught him how to, if someone is emotionally dysregulated, he'll put his, his paw around them, get on the sofa next to them, which is exciting, and hug them. So it's very adorable. What kind of visuals do you use, such as illustrations, in the therapeutic setting? We do quite a bit of art in sessions. So I have books that are called coping books, and patients will draw, and I have a little easel and some markers and crayons and things, and they'll draw during session. Uh, and it can be about anything. It can be about loss. It can be about something making them happy. It can be about graduation from junior high. But we'll compile these pictures and put them into a book over time. So art and illustrations are a big part of my work. What are the big problems that you see, like people who come to you? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? Is it, you know, what is it? If we take out the autism per se. If you take out any diagnosis, people come in because they're not feeling good. They're not feeling happy. They're not feeling um, as if they're reaching their potential or their family is not feeling that way. And they're looking for something. They're looking for some guidance. They're looking to um, find ways to reach mind, body, and spirit connections where they feel positive energy, where they can share their gifts with the world in ways that are meaningful to them. When do you feel the need to refer one of your patients to the psychiatrist? When they have tried all the different tools, therapy-wise, that I can think of. And they're still having symptoms that are causing them a tremendous amount of distress. So sleeplessness, um, depression where they feel dangerous to themselves or others, um, anxiety that's causing them to not live a full and happy life. So extreme situations. So on a continuum, if it's a zero to ten and we're zero to six with zero being we're fine, anything that hits eight or nine usually will bring in some other um, minds to decide if there's medication that needs to be added. And of course the biggest red flag is any thought of suicide. Yes. Yes. Um, what are your career goals at this point? You have a successful practice. You've been in practice a long time. You love what you're doing. You're writing books. Um, what are your career goals at this point? The last few years I've been teaching also at the university. Um, and I have several interns from the university in my practice. I'm training others to do child and family psychology. So as time goes on, I've taught and I've written and I've been practicing and now I'm teaching others to practice. So a little bit of everything. A little bit of everything. We've been speaking today with the psychologist and author, Dr. Lauren Gerber. Lauren, it's been a real pleasure to have you. Becky, thank you for having me. For more information, visit us at differentbrains.com.